This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Madison Malone-Kircher. And I'm Rachel Hampton. And you're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture, live and in person from Austin. Woo! Woo! Uh, hello and welcome to SXXWX ICYMI. That's a lot of, a lot of um, <laughs> that was letters. That yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> It's actually a wordle clue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> I didn't do it yet today. Oh, you're a wordle queen, so I'm surprised. <laughs> We are extremely glad to be here today, mostly because I have been threatening Rachel for many weeks now that I was going to show up in a 10-gallon hat. And every single time I threaten to walk off stage. So is that my moment? Is it my cue? Well, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't bring a hat, but I did have our producer, Daniel, edit a tiny hat on top of my uh, cartoon in our, our logo. That's acceptable. I may walk off later. I'm reserving the right to do that. I, I res- respect that you reserve the right to do that any at all times. That is in the fine print of our, our, uh, our co-host agreement. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yep. I don't remember signing that, but I'm sure we have one. <laughs> so in just a few minutes, we are going to be joined by Bridget Todd, who is the host of the excellent podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet. And we're going to talk about what it is like to be uh, chronically online. And what we hate about being chronically (laughs) online. Uh, And what we hate about it this week is that two, three weeks in infinity, forever, later, we're still talking about Chelsea Hart and Modern Warrior Saga on TikTok. So um, if you need a deep dive, last week we dropped an episode entitled, Where Are the Womb Lambs? (laughs) (laughs) That will tell you everything you need to know, Uh, which is not everything that happened in this saga because it is unending and you're welcome in advance. It's just the things you need. (laughs) But in case you guys aren't online as much as we are, uh, we're going to do a a kind of condensed version of an already short version we have called High Speed Downloads, where we have about a minute to explain uh, an internet controversy, except now we're going to take 45 seconds because that's all we have left. Uh, it's a little bit of a refresher before we bring out Bridget, who does not need a refresher. I will say, when we emailed her, we're like, so we want to talk about Modern Warrior. Don't worry if you don't know anything. I believe the response was, I am, I am I'm up on the womb lands. Read in on the womb lands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Madison, do you want to take, I'm, I'm pressuring you Was this in the contract this. too? It I was, missed. yes. You have to embarrass yourself in front of a crowd. Okay. So. <laughs> Very, very briefly. There's this indigenous TikTok scar. TikTok scar. We're off to a wow, great Wow, you have start. 42 seconds. you got to keep going. Indigenous <laughs> TikTok star named Lance Sosie, a.k.a. Modern Warrior, who was allegedly sleeping with multiple people, including Chelsea Hart, a white TikTok star who was one of them and thought that they were his lone partner. Proceeds to post a wild and dramatic TikTok that involves the term womb lands and also the phrase, you fucking knew. Allegations of being a sexual predator and quote-unquote assault start flying around. Videos are posted and deleted. Another indigenous creator is wrongly accused of having dated Lance and uh, is brigaded by Chelsea Hart's followers such that this 
this indigenous creator is now banned from TikTok, has since been unbanned. A woman comes forward and says Lance cheated on her and that the same thing happened, but then it's you like, actually, Chelsea, you're just using left. me for attention. A whole lot of other stuff happens. The womb lands become a meme and drum roll. Please welcome Bridget. Wow. You didn't even run out the clock that time. <laughs> <laughs> That was <laughs> Thank you, I'm very winded. <laughs> we're gonna let Madison get an inhaler after this, but for right now, we're just gonna make you not be able to breathe. <laughs> very good. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier starting the chat better and dating safer they've changed so you don't have to download the new Bumble now Bridget, thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad that you're here. Oh, I could not be more thrilled. This is one of my favorite podcasts. So a little bit of a fangirl slash dream come true moment for me. Okay. Super excited. It is all mutual. <laughs> we are all fangirls here on this stage. <laughs> so I guess to start, the womb lands, where are they? <laughs> I am deep in the woodlands. <laughs> I have to say, when, I, when you all reached out to me to do this podcast, my partner was like, thank God you have somebody else to talk to about this story so that I can stop hearing about it from you. Because mm -hmm. I've been like, no, a new update, a new update. So yeah. I'm, I'm very well read in on the situation in the woodlands. <laughs> we are deep in the woodlands together. So when did you first start seeing this come across your FYP? Like, what was your first introduction? Was it the remixes? <laughs> So I followed Lance. Um, mm. I think I really enjoyed the woodcutting content. I, I find something soothing As about- one does. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. There's something soothing about watching somebody chop wood. Yeah. Uh, so I had already followed Lance and I didn't really know who Chelsea was, but um, I the first video I saw was the very intense, like the, the soft music mm -hmm. behind it, mm -hmm. the like looking straight into the camera with the ring light. That was the first thing I saw and I just strapped in for the ride. <laughs> every iteration, the, the remixes, the mm -hmm. songs, every new piece of information came to my For You page and it hit right on time. I was definitely all in. <laughs> so you're caught up. Do you think we ever should have litigated this on TikTok in the first place? Absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> I'll just say this. Okay. I, know it's, I, I know it's a delicate situation. It's one of those situations where every new piece of information I find, I'm like, should I know this? Mm -hmm. I don't even know these people. I've, I've never heard of Chelsea. I had never heard of Chelsea before. It does feel a little bit like I am being asked to weigh in and to litigate mm -hmm. somebody else's deeply personal, like intrapersonal situation. And I am chronically online. I love the internet. I love social media. But... Um, I don't think it makes situations better or, or clearer or easier when millions of strangers are very invested in them. 
Right. Oh, yeah, I cannot imagine millions of people being involved in my feuds with Madison. <laughs> <laughs> right, it shouldn't be millions of strangers, it just should be Rachel, Bridget, and myself. Yeah, we are yes. three strangers you are now litigating our relationship from now on. I'm happy to play, like, the judge of your, of your disputes anytime. Okay, so speaking of judging, there's another uh, question just ripping through TikTok right now, and the question is, are there more wheels or are there more doors in the world? Ooh... I think, oh, what a good question. I can go first and give you some time to think. Please. Because we haven't actually litigated this together. That's because the answer's doors. No, the answer's wheels. <laughs> Why would, okay, every single, there's no one wheel vehicle out there. So every single wheel, there's multiple of them. But so cities exist. Yes, but. More buildings than cars. Yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> bikes exist as well. I, I just feel, and we're counting, what are we counting, stroller wheels? Like, you know, little little things you push children around in? Those have a lot of wheels on them. Rachel, it's doors. It's not. Bridget? Bridget? I, think <laughs> I, I think I have to go wheels. Because so often, <laughs> when you have an item that has wheels, it has multiple. So like exactly. this trash can, if you're listening, you can't see, but there's an industrial trash can. It's got four wheels on the bottom of it. So think of everything that has wheels in the world. It probably has multiple. And so then, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go wheels. Okay, but think about how many doors that trash can was wheeled through on the way into That's this room. <laughs> That's also a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like we've won by the majority. Yeah, I will, I will concede here. So that is the internet of right now. Truly, that was the last thing on my For You page. But Bridget, we would love to know, what is your earliest internet memory? My earliest internet memory, I would say maybe not my earliest, but certainly my most formative, were in the early 2000s, all of that stuff that I, I guess... I can only really describe as the weird internet. Mm -hmm. So salad fingers oh, and oh my spoon God. is too big. I don't know what was up with the humor in the early 2000s, late 90s, but it reached where it was meant to reach. It, I loved it. And looking back, I don't know... I don't know what that was. I don't know why I liked it so much. My friends and I would quote these videos, um, Home Star Runner. We would yeah. quote mm -hmm. them endlessly. And looking back, I'm thinking... What was it about our culture that the our internet experiences at that time were just so weird? They were extremely strange. I haven't heard the name Salad Fingers invoked in years, and I will be <laughs> sending my therapy bill after this because that video scared the absolute shit out of me. It was a weird one. It was so weird. And those videos were so strangely formative in the way that they felt ubiquitous to us. And the older we get, the more I realize that when someone says I'm tired and I go, we'll take a nap and then fire the missiles, <laughs> they look at me like I have six heads. I'm like, this is the, the end of the world. This is, this is YouTube royalty. How do you not know this? I don't know this. Well, that's a micro generation <laughs> right there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like this content kind of broke my brain the way that it, it, it just sticks in there. Speaking of broken brains, we're going to move on to my favorite broken brain activity, which is internet scams. Um, what is your favorite one? This is kind of a basic answer. I don't know that I'll say it's my favorite, but it's the one that I gave up the most of my, mm. willingly volunteered the most of my life to, and that is Caroline Calloway. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> Madison's about to exit the room. This is her least favorite For legal reasons, scam. I can say nothing. But have you been on the Caroline Calloway Reddit? I, I wish I could say no, but you know oh, I have. Girl, a small girl, green. I, I, and I think 
think what I am so I don't really have thoughts on Caroline Calloway as a person, but mm. when you go on the Reddit, the amount of dedicated I'm more sort of I enjoy marveling at the amount of dedication that people have yes. to chronicling mm -hmm. her every move. There was, I know, so I used to live in New York, but I live in D.C. now. Mm -hmm. I know that she brought her cat into a bar. Yes. I don't even live in the city, and I know this. I got it from three different people. Yes. You know, it's just the, 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 the tenacity with which mm -hmm. people bring to chronicling her every move. I really, I marvel at it. It's like watching the human spirit in its finest form because it doesn't matter, but there's so many stupid details. Like I know she painted her wood floors, but didn't move her pile of dirty laundry. So there's just weird paint streaks around this pile of laundry in her room. I should not know this. Yes. <laughs> and yet it's in my brain. I can picture the floor in my head right now. Yes, I'm very invested in the like, very small details of her apartment. Mm -hmm. You know, the painting of yes. the floor, but then not moving the pile of junk. And so you just paint around it. Painting the microwave. Yes. Is she going to get her closet back? Like, no. I, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> if I could do, if anyone knows her super or her landlord, I have a lot of questions. I can't imagine he's not watching her Instagram stories just like, this bitch. <laughs> Shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> That's $10. That's 20 <laughs> Rachel, what's your favorite scam? Oh, that's hard. Um, I mean, he's not my favorite, but he is the one that occupies most of my brain space. Sean King. I knew you were going to say that. I, I just, Talcum X just really is, I just, because so many people still like him. Yes. And I cannot stop thinking about how much of a scammer this man is. He was going to go climb mountains. He raised money to go climb seven mountains, and he climbed none of them. And he kept the money. This sounds replicable, and I don't like hiking, so I'm getting some ideas. Listen, <laughs> just say you're climbing mountains for racial justice, and then people will donate. Maybe not you, but like they I, would. <laughs> thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Just, you know, all right. <laughs> Mine is not a specific person so much as the broad category of any Facebook DM from a high school bully that mm -hmm. begins, hey, girly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to be my own boss, babe. <laughs> So you're telling me you could have gotten in on LuLaRoe and you chose not to? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. I could have been, like, in on Young Living when it was, like, embryonic living. <laughs> Young gonna... Living is an essential yeah. <laughs> Orioles MLM, in case that uh, sounds like gibberish to any of you. And if it does, congrats. You're living a healthier life. Than I love <laughs> those brains. Not us, not us at all. I mean, speaking of, again, broken brains... You have this amazing show called There Are No Girls on the Internet. Where in your kind of internet history did this idea for this show come from? Yeah, honestly, so thank you. Um, honestly, I just got sick of marginalized voices, you know, women, queer folks, trans folks. I just got sick of seeing us left out of the conversation about what it means to show up online. I think that any real story that you're telling about the internet or technology has to have marginalized people at the, at the forefront because we're the ones who are making internet culture. We're the ones that, that make internet, make being on the internet fun and exciting and more inclusive and creative and all of the things that we love about it. And so I just saw so many places purporting to tell that story, but really not having the range to have it be a story that really includes, you know, identity at its core. And I wanted to create a platform where our voices could really be amplified and get the spotlight they deserve in those foundational stories. Yeah, I feel like so often on the show, we talk about a trend and we're like, this started off really fun with people of color and now the white people have come in. And, and now we're on Jimmy Kimmel for some reason. <laughs> 
I could talk all day. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's, I just got sick of people and institutions that have power validating that story because, mm-hmm. you know, it, we have these conversations about the internet, like who cares who gets credit, who cares what started mm-hmm. it. It's all just online. We it's do. All, yeah, we do. Yeah. And the people who are behind these formative trends, whether it's a dance or an expression, that could be material, you know, have material benefit. It has material yeah. benefit to somebody, but almost never the people who created it unless we make a fuss. And so I just got sick of people that have power and institutions that have power validating what I know to be a lie about our culture, that we don't create things, we're not foundational. And I wanted to sort of shift the scales a little bit and say, no, we are at the forefront. So any conversation you're having about the internet, internet culture, technology, needs to have traditionally marginalized voices at the center of it. And if you're not, if you can't do that, then you're not actually telling the full story. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. If you want to support the journalism we do, please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. Seriously, ICYMI would not be possible without all of your support. And Slate Plus really does help us keep the show going. And by going, I mean it keeps us talking about ridiculous things on the Internet week after week. Subscribing to Slate Plus also means you'll get no ads on any Slate podcasts, and you'll get bonus segments or extra episodes of shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, and Big Mood, Little Mood. You'll also get unlimited reading on the Slate website and access to every article and advice column on Slate, meaning you'll never hit the dreaded paywall. Visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to subscribe. Again, that's slate.com slash ICYMI plus. So I feel like we're getting into the next question that we wanted to ask, which is about the formation of internet culture as a beat, as in a beat that is now um, covered at the New York Times and the Washington Post and all these publications. And the how, New Yorker with an umlaut. And in <laughs> Slate magazine. And I'm curious as to what you think about the kind of demographics of internet culture reporters and how it kind of reifies the trends that you talk about where marginalized creators who should be at the center of the story are often not. Yeah, what a good question. And I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, crap on anybody because we're all in this fight together. Mm-hmm. But I think that particularly for like legacy media outlets, I think as the rise of internet culture as a beat has like become more solidified and more, you know, gotten more shine, I think it's really exposed what kinds of traditional outlets have the range and which ones don't, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you have a, a mostly white, male, you know, cisgender newsroom, 
you might not really have the range to tell an authentic, true story about something pertaining to internet culture. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm really pleased that we're seeing that beat get the, the shine that I think it deserves and the respect that it deserves, but we have to have a real conversation that with that becoming a more you know mainstream beat, I think a lot of traditional news outlets need to be looking around their newsrooms and saying, mm -hmm. and who do we have who can authentically tell this story in a way that's going to actually be true? Because I feel like, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And so if you don't realize that you're telling a story without, you know, centering a major part of that story, how would you know? And so I think it always comes back to making sure the folks who are telling these stories, amplifying these stories, and really validating them are inclusive and actually look like the people who are at the center of those stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Is there anything in the coverage we're seeing right now on the internet culture beat that you want to see more of or less of? Oh, what a good question. I want to see more coverage of the way that things that start online don't end, don't just stay online, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so I think we are, people who write about the internet, who care about the internet, we are up against this very harmful like misconception that, oh, it's just kids on social media. TikTok is just kids dancing. You know, if you have a problem online, just close your computer. I've heard that my whole life. And I think that we are only now starting to just accept this reality that the, the, the online world and the IRL like world have kind of been collapsed into one. And so what mm. happens online really has consequences for what happens offline. And so it can be something, you know, on, the, on a micro scale, like somebody who's experiencing harassment online, that harassment might bleed over into their real lives. We saw an example of it on January 6th, where mm -hmm. things that started and fomenting online really did boil over into like offline actions. And so I would like to see more coverage of the ways that the internet experience, particularly for marginalized folks and younger folks, really does have a lot of real world impact. Mm -hmm. You just tapped into my favorite thing. I hate when people talk about the idea of like culture coverage is in one box mm -hmm. and internet culture is a separate box instead of the idea that it's just the continuation of culture since we got on the World Wide Web, thanks Al Gore. Here we are. Uh, Beyonce, let's be correct here. I deeply, Accuracy in journalism. I deeply regret the error. Mm -hmm. But the kind of dynamic that you're talking about of online forces kind of becoming real to people really didn't seem to happen, I think, in my feud at least, until 2016, for white people at least, or like Charlottesville, when they started to see that these online movements weren't just online. But we both covered your slip of showing, which is this movement by um, black women online to basically out trolls who were posing as black women in an effort to, um, they would say things like, in Father's Day, because it's misogynistic to make, so that people would think that feminists and black women specifically were kind of like shrill and social justice warriors. And something that one of the founders of that movement, Shafika Hudson said, was that like women and people of color have always understood that what's happening online is happening in real life. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, you did your slip of showing on one of your episodes, and I'm wondering like what was one of the things that you took away from that? Oh, I mean, so I'm so glad that you brought this up. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite episode of the podcast I've ever done. Shafika is the coolest, mm -hmm. so cool. Um, I would say what I want people to understand as the takeaway from that episode is that, I, I mean, so Shafika is very clear that she does not believe that that kind of you know um, disinformation campaigns where people are posing as black people, she does not believe that that 
worked on most black people. Mm -hmm. Who it actually worked on is your Tucker Carlson's, yes. your people at Fox mm -hmm. News who then said, like, can you believe that black feminists on Twitter <laughs> are trying to get rid of Father's Day? Yeah. Like, what a bunch of malarkey. Um, and so she's... <laughs> Excuse me for my use of the word malarkey. <laughs> I was like, when does Joe Biden get here? Wow. <laughs> All right. Hey, folks. But I guess I, I, I want to say that I think that it really underscores the importance of listening to traditionally marginalized voices when mm. they speak up about their online experiences because later on, you know, years later, a Senate inquiry would go go on to confirm that um, when uh, disinformers and bad actors were trying to meddle in our election in 2016, mm -hmm. that there was no bigger group that they targeted than black folks on social media. And so, you know, you can't hear stuff like that and not say like, well, gee, when Shabika Hudson was mm -hmm. screaming about it and creating a hashtag to help stamp it out, which by the way, she's just a normal person. Like mm -hmm. she shouldn't, it's not her responsibility to be making these platforms that much safer. If people with power had just listened to her, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Maybe bad actors who wanted to sort of meddle in our, our, our elections would not feel that that was a, a, an appropriate vessel to do that, right? And so mm -hmm. I think for me, it's just tale as old as time that when traditionally marginalized people speak up, people with power either are like, oh, okay, hmm, guess I'll do nothing, mm -hmm. or our voices are erased and silenced. And so, um, yeah, I think that, that the choice that people with power made to do nothing, I think really reverberated, and I think that we're still seeing the impacts today. Yeah, something that was interesting to me about your slip is showing is that it happened in 2014, which is around when the internet culture beat started to become a real thing. And as I was, I covered it maybe two or three years after that, and I was just kind of shocked at how little coverage it had gotten, despite the fact that at that time, almost everyone was reporting on like 4chan and Reddit and all of these other things. Um, and I have my suspicions as to why it wasn't covered, but what are yours? People don't listen to black women. Yep. Like, like we are, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, again, tale as old as time. I think that when black women, I think most traditionally marginalized people, but black women specifically, mm -hmm. I think that we are seen, honestly, like, I think it's a lot deeper than this. I think that the general understanding is that when we show up online, we shouldn't even expect experiences that, that feel mm. like affirmation or yeah. support or care. When we log onto the internet, we should be expecting to be harassed, to be mm -hmm. disinformed, to be targeted. I think that there is a fundamental attitude that we don't deserve yeah. you know, experiences that feel like care online. And so I think that that misconception and attitude really explains why people just don't listen when we speak up. And so I think that when people like Shafika Hudson are like, hey, this is happening on my online community, could be bad. I think that we, people with power just didn't see us as a group that is worthy of being protected or even just listened to. And had they listened to mm -hmm. us, we probably wouldn't have seen things like Gamergate. Mm -hmm. We probably would, like, so much could be different if people had listened to black women. That's why people sometimes call us the canaries in the coal mine of yeah. online experiences, which I kind of hate because mm -hmm. some of us just want to, like, make dumb jokes on the internet with our friends, right? Yep. Like, I don't want to be a canary in a coal mine. I want to go online and have a different kind of experience. But we are, time and time again, put into the situation where we have to be. We have to be so loud about our experiences because nobody listens to us. Yeah, and I mean, the end of that metaphor, canary in the coal mine, the canary dies. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me if I don't want to be the canary in the coal mine. I just want to do some shit posting. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will fangirl slightly and say that if you want to listen to that episode of Bridget's show, you have to scroll back to July uh, 14th of 2020. Ah! <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I am so impressed at you. That's exactly right. <laughs> it is very good. So speaking of your show and future episodes, we talk a lot, Rachel and I, about you know dream topics, people we'd love to have on our podcast. Who's your white whale? Like who or what is the thing you're like dying to, to talk about on your show? So I have two, Great. one serious and one kind of like less serious, but like if you're listening to this, please call me. <laughs> um, my, my serious one is Leslie Jones um, oh. from Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that Leslie Jones, talking about like the 2014 yeah. um, you know, climate of being online, we all watched Leslie Jones be horribly harassed off of her platform. And, you know, that had political implications. And I think that the way that we're seeing internet experiences be so, the, the dial be so turned up on them, I think what Leslie Jones experienced really was a precursor to what was to come. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really get to hear her voice about the, and I understand that she maybe doesn't want to, you know, talk about it because it was a very traumatic situation for her. But I think that we all just watched that happen, and we never had a true reckoning on what we were witnessing and the implications. And so Leslie Jones is, is high on my list. My other is a little bit obscure, I guess. If you've ever seen, if you were on Vine, there's a, a very good Vine of somebody at the donut shop, Krispy Kreme, oh. and he does this flip. Kicks the light. He kicks the light. And so the, the Vine, I, this, like, it's I see this vine when I close my eyes. He, you, you don't actually see, he does a backflip, and you know that he's about to knock down this like massive Krispy Kreme yes. hot and ready mm -hmm. sign, mm -hmm. but you don't actually see it hit the ground or yeah. him connect with it. And so my question is, what, how did it end? Did he have to pay for the yes. sign? Like, mm -hmm. what happened? Was so, he hurt? I think about this all the time, all the time. <laughs> I feel like we can get both of those happening. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. that feels realistic. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think that's all the time we have. Yeah, for unfortunately. Unfortunately. Until um, we get Bridget to come back yes. when friend of the pod, Leslie Jones, also comes mm -hmm. back. So it's we'll going to be a surprise. Next time you end up on the show, don't be surprised if someone else shows up in the Zoom chat. <laughs> I would I would die of happiness. <laughs> and we get it all on tape. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank being here with us today. Us. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. All right, that is the show. Please subscribe. It is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode, a conversation about internet history, an unhinged game. Uh, leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at ICYMI underscore pod. We also have an email, uh, and that is, I know our email, ICYMI at slate.com. <laughs>
Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.